And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. I'm Batman. Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, and Chris Honeywell. Hello there, and welcome to <laughs> Comics Monthly Monday, number 37. Uh, what was that? <laughs> what, is this step and fetch it or what? <laughs> hey there, hi there, there. Why, hello there, Mr. Interlocutor, sir. You know, I've seen a house fly, and I've seen a dragon fly. <laughs> I'm not sure we should racism. bring this show in on that. <laughs> get this is the Two True Freaks Minstrel Show. <laughs> we are wearing plastics. Yeah. Okay, I'm out. <laughs> My name actually is not Rastus. My name is Chris Honeywell. <laughs> And I am joined here with, <laughs> well, do they even want me to say their names? Well, it's too bad. I'm going to say their names. Mr. Michael Bailey. Hey, everybody. And Scott Gardner. Nope. Nope. Not here. <laughs> not here. He called in sick today. So, and, Mark, uh, if you like him. I wasn't doing my step and fetch it. I was doing my Jar Jar. That was my impression of Jar Jar's dad. <laughs> oh, so we're... Uh... <laughs> so we're not doing one thing that is considered racist. We're doing another. The other one. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're now while well, we're doing it once. We're doing the racist once, twice, three times removed. So it's better. Yeah, it's better. No, it's unts, twice, fee times, I'm the Baba of Seville. Big arrow. Big arrow. <laughs> All right, so let's see. We don't have any girls listening. Probably no British people or French people. Now all the black people are gone, which is, the, the, I guess, black men because there weren't any girls to begin with. So what's our, <laughs> you know, pretty soon our audience Actually, is look like a Nazi youth rally or something. Yeah, we can just change this to the white supremacist podcast at this point. I think. Wow. Hey. And now wow. I'm you know, maybe we should start out these shows talking about junk food, you know? <laughs> you see how we do that? We know that accusation. Slowly, we slowly change our pot. It's like, I, I love their comic talk. And then all of a sudden, before I knew it, it's like the frog in the in the water thing. You know, when you turn up the heat slowly, it doesn't notice and it boils to death. It's like, I was listening to Swamp Thing comics. And then the next thing you know, it's like, a it's 
It's like that South Park episode with uh, Cartman and uh, and the Passion of the Christ. This is so uh, bizarre because last just, night I was yeah. just watching something about um, those. For the heavy- people with no sense of humor, I just want to say right off the bat that neither Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, or Chris Honeywell are racists or members of the Nazi party in any way, shape, or form, at least so far as Chris Honeywell knows. Oh, not on the air, anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Wait, did, did you say am not or ha- am not and never have been? I just I said I'm not. I said I'm not. Okay, okay I, just, I just need to clear that up right away. Never, never caught. I was watching this thing last night on... Uh, oh. You remember those Heaven's Gate people? Yeah, where they, where they, they were they had that. Awesome. <laughs> well, I was just watching that, and I'm 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 thinking, how do you get to that point? How do you get to that point where you? That's do the something sad thing like is that? it is possible. You can have. They were very intelligent people. That's the thing. They weren't dummies. Well, right? No. I, I, <laughs> the, ultimately, yes, they were dummies, but they were all educated people. Right. They right. were all like sort of tech people if i if i remember right didn't they all have sort of like a computer company or something i'm not sure but it just I, at the end of the day it was like wow you know i mean they didn't have one person in that group to to go oh, wait wait what what's the plan Probably not for long what yeah that per- yeah well, that when you're was- afraid that you're going to be killed you know that- that person was probably shunned that person was probably not a member of the group anymore and went off to join Scientology or something, you right. know what I mean? At that point, you know, I mean, when when you, you know, I, I'm all about hanging out with my friends and everything, but you know, if one of you guys suddenly said, "Hey, you know, next Thursday, I got an idea. We're, we're gonna shave ourselves bald and we're gonna go lay in bed and we're gonna put blankets over our faces and we're all just gonna we're gonna die so we can." Go oh, I was stuck on Nazis. Phone. I'm sorry. I'd be like, uh I thought that was going that, in a different direction. I'm busy that day, you know, so. You know, so yeah, the the if somebody had actually not gone with the plan and been shunned, you thought the very first thing that they would have done was like, I don't know, call the cops or it was, they do that stuff does happen, and then and you know, <sighs> and a police report gets filed, and then afterwards they go and they go, wow, yeah, these guys were, well, you know, there's yeah. only so much you can do with if you go to the cops and say. Yeah, these people think the comet Hale-Bopp's coming and we're going to catch a ride on it and stuff. It's like, you can't really do anything about it until somebody does well, something. The, the thing is, is that you, you're, you're thinking about this, Scott, from the perspective of a person who is rational sane, and, and who has a very strong personality and is an individual. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. in a cult are brainwashed Mm-hmm. more often than not so that to the by the time they get to it it's not like you you walk in you're handed your blue sweats your head is shaved and they let you in on the big plan yeah right no, you, you um, usually have identity issues to start out with yeah to i mean head, it, head in that direction it, it, i was watching this great special on charles manson which is a weird thing to say, but it was it was an interesting special to me. Was it the Christmas uh, special? Yeah, the Charlie Manson Christmas special. That's my special. favorite. Yeah, the true meaning <laughs> Where of Sharon Christmas. Where Sharon Tate is, is Mary in the manger. It's oh! Very, very horrible. Um, oh, yeah. that is so wrong, man. I'm so proud of you right now, Mike. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. Um, oh, let me savor that for a second. <laughs> mm. um, but um, That's good cynicism. 
that a lot of people that hooked up with Charles Manson were the disaffected youth of that era. You know, these were right. people that, like, uh, some of them were. Chris some said, of those girls were homecoming queens too. Yeah. You know that. But I'm sorry, homecoming queens are just as likely to be crazy and or yeah, or or or, 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 or have identity issues because that's mm-hmm. why they be, kind of became the homecoming mm-hmm. queen in the first place. Yeah, oh yeah. You know, so you so these groups attracted, and you know you have the hail boppers, but then you have the people that that were hooked up with David Koresh, and these were people that were manipulated on a religious front to the point where, you know, David Koresh didn't walk into the first meeting and go, okay, guys, I'm going to fuck your wives. Um, right. Just going right. to happen. No, it was, it was, they always start out being really like Jim Jones was a super, oh, yes. human, super humanitarian and way ahead of the curve on civil rights and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And was, and became like, you know, I think uh, what, he was in San Francisco before he he got paranoid and went to Uganda. But when he was in San Francisco, he was viewed as an asset to the community, and you know, was feeding the the poor, and you know, was was working for civil rights. And people just thought of him as you know, even the irreligious people, or you know, or you know, more secular people were like, hey, this guy's you know, just a good natured, nice guy, and yeah, and. But you get that insular community. and quick, quick aside about Jim Jones. When I was probably around four or five, it was a little after uh, the Jonestown thing had gone down. Uh, we were having a picnic, and my, my mom made Kool-Aid and referred to it as Jonestown Punch. <laughs> so I come across this sense of humor very honestly. <laughs> you want to hear, hear uncomfortable? I was at a, a pagan festival at a subgenius devival. Oh. And um, at the end of the devival, they had Kool-Aid mixed up <laughs> and were passing out cups. <laughs> uh, no. What a what a moment, what a moment that was for everybody. I was like, this is some great performance art because people are holding the Kool-Aid going, Well, I'm a subgenius. I love the subgeniuses. But God damn, I, 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 their whole identity is based on not drink. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. And to, you know, there were also many people, myself included, who were thinking, what could it possibly be laced with? <laughs> I had Which a point in always... bringing that all up, but now I've totally lost where I think I we're all trying that. to, like, get away from my, um, my Jar Jar intro. Yeah. <laughs> So do we Go to your room, Jar Jar. <laughs> your ass is grounded. Usually, uh, usually here's where we do our, our um, you know, what did you pick up over the last couple of uh, weeks? But we we didn't do this last month. So, uh, you guys get anything cool for Christmas, comic book wise? Uh, my wife went to the comic uh, shop for me, my regular, you know, my LCS, and uh, and cleaned out my box for me. Which was pretty cool. So now I, I got that sounds so unspeakably wrong. <laughs> so I got uh, finally got caught up on uh, most everything that I'm I'm reading on a regular monthly basis, which actually is not that much. But that was probably the the biggest comic thing as far as Christmas. Um, I had a mountain of stuff that uh, I was going to bring in 
what was that like a couple of shows ago but it got so unwieldy with just how much was there that i finally just put it all aside i was like eh, this this could be a whole episode just sitting there going if we were a tv, got... if we were a TV scroll tv show you could just do one of those real quick scrolls of all the comics you've read like rip. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> but no the biggest thing was there there was a comic show a while back that I went to, uh, it was, you know, again, it was at my LCS. They had a, a one day sale and, uh, they drug out just tons and tons of cheap back issues. They were, uh, they were three for a dollar and they had, I'm not even sure how many long boxes. It was a ton of long boxes. And I went there to, to pick up my regular books and I thought, now eh, I'll go through the long boxes and I'll get, you know, I don't know, like Uh-oh. 10 bucks worth of books or something like that. And the next thing I know, I had not only had I not picked up any of my regular books, but I went, I don't know, like 10 or 20 bucks beyond like my personal budget for the day because I just kept finding great stuff. And I got an almost, I just about completed my run of New Mutants, which it was one of those things where I wanted a complete run for a long, long time. But that's just one of those books that was on my list is like, yeah, I'd have to find this pretty cheap, you know, to get this. But you know, there three you for go. a buck, I couldn't. I couldn't pass mm-hmm. it up. I got that. I got uh, an almost complete collection of Exiles, which I had started reading a long time ago, but in CBR form. I really didn't have many of the actual issues, but I really liked the series. Um, but at some point, I just I, I kind of petered out reading it because it became one of those things where it's like I like this so much, I actually want to own it. So I stopped reading it you know, in, intent on picking them up. And then I just never did. And all of a sudden here they were, it was like a whole long box, the whole runs. I picked those all up and just like scattered other various issues. And, uh, and I've been slowly trying to read and make my way through them. Cause I, I've kind of set myself a, uh, I guess at this point you could call it a new year's resolution. Although this was a couple of months ago that from now on, when I when I pick up stuff, I'm really going to do my best to read it right then and there and not just throw it in a box and it'll be years, if ever, you know, that I get to it. I mean, I, I have done that now for God knows how many years and I have so many great comics that I picked up that I was so excited to get that are still just sitting in a box somewhere that I've never even, you know, opened them up and really flipped through them. So yeah, pay your son to read them. <laughs> get, get him by osmosis you, you're gonna have to start getting efficient there yeah i'm trying well I, <laughs> I sat down a while ago and i did some math and i i didn't have exact numbers to work with but i went you know basically on an estimate of all right how many comics does the average long box hold how many long boxes do i have full of unread stuff and i sat down and i did a little bit of math and i tried to figure out <laughs> You know, if I went on something like, say, like a five-year plan, how many comics would I have to read a day in order to, like, burn through all the the unread books I've got within, like, say, five years? I think it worked out to, like, three comics a day or something like that. So... That's fairly doable. You need, like, like a a moisture-proof long box that you can keep next to the can or something yeah maximize your your reading time you know what i mean like a hermetically sealed one that you like push a button and it opens up a little bit of steam comes out of it well you know we have a we have a uh 
uh, bathroom, you know, in, in the bedroom, you know, in the, we have the master bath or whatever right. they call it. And my nightstand where I always have a stack of reading material is like right outside the door. So believe me, every time there's a trip to the camp, <laughs> I'm grabbing something off the stack, you know? So yeah, that fact, I've been a eating a lot of bran lately just, so, <laughs> just to catch up. <laughs> Well, you know, the big thing I wish I could do is I wish I could take comics to work. I've never figured out how people take comics to work, you know, because I'm I'm too worried that they're going to get banged up or, or, you know, it's it's not, I've gotten over the embarrassment factor. You know, for a long time it was, you know, I didn't like, you know, well, it'll letting, be letting iPod or your device. in comics because I got tired of the sidelong glances. I'm well past that. I don't care what people think. Yeah, who gives a shit, you know? Yeah, I, I really, I don't. But it, it's more now a matter of, you know, how do I take, you know, this this, you know, old issue of whatever to work and not have it get creased or wrinkled or something, you know. I you really like wish... a hard briefcase or something. Yeah, I yeah. I wish there was some sort of of portable holder um, for comics where you could the, just take them. There's a couple things you can do. Um years ago, I would go to a big box office supply store and buy sheet protectors and a binder. And you can slip the mm. comics into the sheet protectors and you carry them in the binder. When I was managing, quote unquote, because I wasn't really a manager, but that's what my title was, uh, this convenience store, one of the uh, vendors who uh, was selling Monster Energy Drink, which is still very popular right now, uh, gave me this, like, basically it's a portfolio for, like, you slip a legal pad into and you could put like business cards and stuff into it. But I found it could hold about eight comics comfortably. So when I worked at Home Depot and up until I moved stores at Office Depot, that's what I would take my comics to work in. And they keep them protected. They don't get banged up. You open it up. It's there. And when you're done, you zip it back up and put it back in my locker. It was really nice. I don't want to encourage people to read comic books at work. I want them to listen to Two True Freaks <laughs> while they're at work. Either way, I love the idea of it. I love. Well, actually, this is some deep nerd talk. How to how to get your comics to work unscathed. Well, this is the stuff that I think uh, I think is important. Here. Yeah, yeah, and it is important, really. It is. Yes, I agree. Well, here lately, that is what I've been doing at work is I've been listening. I've been using that time to get caught up on on podcasts because, you know, a a half an hour is honestly not very long reading time, especially if you're reading like, you know, you could probably read a comic in a half an hour. But, you know, like trying to read like a novel or something it'd take you forever in a day, you know, when, when all you've got is, you know, that that little half an hour window. But for a podcast, I mean, your average podcast is usually only, you know, an hour to, you know, 90 minutes unless it's like one of our shows, which are like, you know, four and a half hours. You know, but for the, you know, most of the stuff I listen to is usually between an hour and 90 minutes. So, you know, and. In a couple of breaks at work, I can you know get an, an entire episode listened to. So I've I've actually been using that time to to listen to other shows lately. It's good that you you're you're back to being able to listen to a podcast at work before without having hundreds of people's lives <laughs> being at risk. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, even there, I mean, I you know I got breaks. You know, you got time. Go, yeah. yeah, I could be off stage and go you know go listen to something. But yeah. No, never at work. Yeah, I mean, in my in my current role, I can't. You know, I couldn't listen to something at work. You know, I mean, I'm I'm out there. I'm visible, so I can't have the headphones in. But 
But yeah, that's that's what I've been doing lately. Did you get anything new, Michael? Uh, as a matter of fact, I did. Uh, you if think? You, if, you're <laughs> friends, if you're friends with me on Facebook, uh, you can see my styling Superman hoodie that my wife got me. Zip-up hoodie sweatshirt, which, is, uh, which fits, which was like really important to me. Um, and it's very warm, too. It's a, it's a neat little thing. But if you, if you throw up the hood, Superman's face is on either side. So that that's kind of neat to look. Uh, my wife tracked down the Superman 3 board game. And it's missing like two tokens, and that's it. And I'm really, really excited about that. Because it's, uh, it's awesome to have. It really is. Are, are you guys going to sit down on a Saturday night and uh, play Superman 3? Yes, of course we are. Soon? Yes, of course awesome. we are. It's one of the reasons why she got it. We like to get gifts for each other that we can do together. Um, some of those gifts I can't talk about in right. polite company. I, you, but, yeah, um, I'm glad you cut that off before Scott and I got a hold of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I know you guys well, so uh, I, I know when to uh, when to shut you guys down. We're both like... reaching for the mute button. Don mute. <laughs> what do you say? But um, <laughs> my wife made me a bunch of stuff too. She made me a book bag. Uh, that couldn't hold much because it's it's made out of uh, bed sheets. But it was she took she bought Superman bed sheets off of eBay and cut them up and made me like a little book bag with straps and everything. And it's like one of the three bags she made me to go to the comic shop in. So when I buy my new books, I go green, but I look really cool doing it because she she took a couple canvas tote bags and painted superhero symbols on it. So Superman, Batman, and all that. She also got me two smaller bags and iron-ons. Walmart has superhero iron-ons, guys. Ooh. They got a bat symbol, and they got a Superman symbol. Now, do you buy the iron-ons, or do they have that whole setup like in the 70s where they would have, you know, you could flip through them like the posters, and they would have like a bored lady back there who would press your shirt for you? Odd that you mentioned that. I just heard uh, uh, another podcast talking about this. Um, no, it's just you just buy the iron on and do it your damn self. Um, I think that's the name of the company. Do it your damn self iron ons. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Um, but yeah, she she uh, she also made me a lunch bag, like an insulated lunch bag. She took other superhero f- uh, fabric, some Superman fabric, and some Batman fabric, and she sewed a insulated lining into it this is one of the reasons why my wife is awesome so uh that was really cool to get um comic book wise i have not been to i've only been to the shop once in the past month because my work schedule just doesn't allow it so i haven't gotten anything cool there i just picked up some of my new books Uh, i read through though the uh, the black ring storyline from action comics which was the big Lex Luthor storyline that stretched from 890 to 900. And uh, I know this is in trade paperback and hardcover. I suggest picking it up because it was actually really cool. It was Lex Luthor trying to find these black spheres. And every issue, he f- faces off against another supervillain. So he faces off against, well, he teams up with Deathstroke. Uh, there's a big Vandal Savage storyline that crosses over into Secret Six, which I know Scott was a fan of as a series. 
Yeah, as a matter of fact, I was flipping through uh, one of my long boxes today of, of unread comics and was looking at Secret Six, and I need to look up and find out what the last issue was and try to get caught up on that. Because I was really digging that, and uh, it was just one of those things where the, the the issues, you know, the current issues started to pile up on my nightstand, and then I ended up throwing them in a, in a long box without ever reading them, so... I, I don't know how that happened, you know, where I, 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 didn't, I didn't lose interest. I just, you know, I got busy with other things and then kind of just forgot to keep reading the book. But I Whoops. need to go back and finish it because it was actually really good. But, um, but yeah, the, the, the Black Ring turned out to be pretty cool. The ending was... It's one of those stories that no matter how you end it, it's going to be kind of disappointing. And it wasn't like I hated it. And I and I kind of liked the themes that Paul Cornell, who was writing the series at the time, uh, explored with Lex Luthor. But when I got to the end of it, I was like, "Oh, so it's that? Oh, okay, that's uh, that's fine. Um, it, it could have been worse. Everybody could have gotten superpowers at the end to defeat the big bad guy, um, like a Grant Morrison story or something." So. Uh, but I enjoyed it, and uh, I'm really, I'm really excited about that Superman three game. I have no idea why, but it's so cool to see. <laughs> it's gonna be so much fun to play. And yes, Scott, when we come down to visit, I will bring it with me, and you can be Gus. <laughs> I promise. Sweet. You get to be Richard Pryor. I want to wear a pink cape. I want to wear skis. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like a little kid. <laughs> and, no, actually, I want a some, hamburger, no, a yeah, cheeseburger. I want a corn dog. Nothing in like it. <laughs> that sounds like my dad. <laughs> that is the immortal Ted Knight, <laughs> which they ripped on nicely on uh, Family Guy, but that's more of a Star Trek Monthly Monday thing. <laughs> well, what about you, Chris? Did you get you? Did, you said you didn't get anything for Christmas, right? I am a Grinch, and I had an almost ideal Christmas this year, whereas I got no Christmas presents, and I got one Christmas card, which is one more than I try, than I try to get every year. So it was see, almost I, a perfectly you, successful Christmas. You never cease to amaze me how cavalier you, you are about that, because, you know... I, I at least have, get like a token like bag of underwear or something like that because if I didn't get anything at all for Christmas, I would likely be in some you know clock tower somewhere. You know what I mean? I didn't. It, I that didn't, would really piss me off. I have to be honest. <laughs> Who's saying I'm not in a clock tower right now? <laughs> no, I oh mean, God! The stress. And this is where it goes off the rails. After so many years of the stress of getting Christmas presents for everybody or trying to or getting or, or trying to figure out who's going to get me a Christmas present, even, you know, even though it's like, oh, well, you don't have to give me a Christmas present too, though, you, you, whether they believe that or not, still, you feel that you have, you know, and dealing with all that, I've slowly weaned all my friends off of it. But I did get yeah, you near think. Chris, I did get near Chris. Christmas time I did get a package from Johnny Bueno who does send me he's he's really collecting underground comics and and stuff again lately and so whenever he gets doubles and stuff I'll get a little care package and I got a care I got a destroyer duck number three 
Oh, wow. <laughs> but Steve Gerber and Jack Kirby, which was actually pretty good. The art was a little wonky for Jack Kirby. But, the you know, it was pure Steve Gerber, you know, farce. And, uh, and a Dan O'Neill comic, who I love Dan O'Neill, but I totally don't get the comic because it's, it's a, like political commentary about IRA stuff in the 70s, you know, through the metaphor of an uh, Irish Navy. So I don't get the jokes in it at all, but it's beautifully drawn, little pamphlet-style comic. So I'm always happy to get some Dan O'Neill stuff. He's one of my favorites of all time. So anything new that I get to see of him, and he doesn't do much. So, but yeah, not 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 much not not much Christmas action. Not big on birthdays either. Sorry. Oh, oh! I nearly forgot to mention. I've got to give a great big shout out to our buddy Andy Leyland. Over at Hey Kids Comics, and now of the really cool. Oh, don't thing. you mean Andy Leland? I was just going to say, I want to go back to saying Andy Leland just <laughs> because so every we can time play we that say sound it. clip. Yeah. <laughs> but I was the guy that knew how to pronounce it. Um, <laughs> I was the guy that knew how to pronounce the name. You guys are making fun of me again. Remember that, um, Andy? I was the one who said your name right. Uh, but Andy Leland. There you go, Scott. He, he, um, he, he sent me a Christmas present. And as a as a Superman fan, uh, one of the things that I've always wanted was a, a British annual because, you know, because of the messed up distribution system over there, they didn't really get new comics unless it was like ballast on a ship. So they would reprint uh, books in full color uh, once a year as hardcover collections, basically. Mm-hmm. And he sent me a Superman one from 1983 that has this gorgeous cover with Superman and Supergirl, Mongol and the Spectre, because it reprints the two DC Comics Presents uh, issues, the the one where he teams up with Martian Manhunter and one where he teams up with Supergirl, and there's a there's a Spectre story in there as well. But I appreciated the hell out of getting this thing because I've always wanted one, and it showed up on my doorstep last Saturday, and it was just they're just neat to have. I you know I'm on a real big Superman high right now uh, with the coverage of the death and return of Superman that Jeffrey Taylor and I are doing over it from Crisis to Crisis. So getting that now was just like a really big deal, and I appreciate it. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> you just reminded me of a of a geek moment I had. Uh, I don't, I can't remember if it was last night or the night before, but at work. Um, for for those listening, I uh, I've I've switched roles. I don't know if I've mentioned this before. I, I think I mentioned it recently, but I can't remember if I've mentioned it on Comics Monthly Monday. But now I'm. Uh, I'm working what's called front desk at uh, at one of the resorts, and so you know, I, I largely my role now is uh, you know I do check ins and check outs and answer questions. And Are you like, like a that. concierge? You know, not yet. I'm uh, I, I have recently accepted a position where I will begin to train for concierge, but that hasn't happened yet. But it's kind of like that's it's like such a classy title, man. You'll it's be like, like concierge light, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but it was funny. Um, I think this was last night. This nice young couple came in. And they were visiting. I think it was their first time. 
and they walk up and people you can always tell the people that have never been there before or you know or or they're not really you know versed with with travel let's say and they walk up and they don't know what to do you know they they're fumbling around for some sort of paper or they're wondering you know what what should i give you you know are you looking for a number or whatever and all all i need from people i just need their name that's all i need i just need your last name so i can look you up in the system i don't need papers and all that so these people walk up and they were in, you know, fumbling around and they were like, you know, what, what do we need? You know? And I said, uh, Oh, last name, please. And she goes, Savage. And I had to actually bite my tongue from going Vandal. Cause I wanted it so bad to be, you know, like, you know, Vandal and Sally Savage. <laughs> it was just <laughs> awesome. You know, that, cause every once in a while, you know, I, I think I, uh, I told you before, Mike, when we got somebody in, what was his name? Richard White. We had a Richard White come in and I just got a kick, you know, every once in a while you get one of those great geek names where it has what some I- geek affiliation like that. And I just geek out, but I don't have anybody to really share it with. You know what I mean? There's- well, if she was like a veterinarian, you could have called her Doc Savage. Doc Savage. Yeah, exactly. When I worked uh, for Value Jet Airlines back in 1996 doing reservations, when we were between calls, I would sit there and look up comic book names in the <laughs> in the customer manifests, and I found a couple Clark Kents, two Bruce Waynes, three Guy Gardners, <laughs> oddly enough. But uh, they never called, and I think I would have just about lost my mind if it's like, all right, uh, name, Kent, first name. Clark. Except there would have been a long pause because all their life, and you you would have been like first name, and it would have been like tick, 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 Clark. (laughs) That's the funny thing is I can see there being people in the world named Bruce Wayne or Peter Parker or Steve Rogers. Well, we know a Steve Rogers. Right. Very rarely are they actually nerds. Steve Rogers just lucked out. Clark can't. Come on. Seriously? Who's going to name their kid? I mean, you know, you've got to know, <laughs> you know, you've got <laughs> to know that kid is going to face a lifetime of, oh, Clark Kent, you know, come right, on. Right, but if That's your last just... name is Kent, that temptation is got to be well, yeah, so... It, it is, you know, I, I know. Well, that's, that's why you name them Calvin Elliot. And if, just be more subtle about right. it. If, exactly. if your name if your name was Jones, you can't tell me you wouldn't be arguing with your wife, going, "Please, please, just let me name him Indiana." And you'd have to settle for Henry or something. <laughs> or like Richard. That. <laughs> or Richard, just so uh, just so just, somebody can at one point Jim. in their life go, "I work for Dick Jones." Dick, Dick Jones. Jones! <laughs> just as long as it's not Jim. That's... He's a number two guy. OCP. <laughs> Guns, guns, guns. Come on, Bobby. Tigers are playing. I love that movie. Tonight. I never miss a game. You know, it, it hit me the other day that, uh, you know, we, we, we we're tossing around this idea. Well, I'm not so much tossing it around. It's going to happen, but we're, we're going to start doing the, uh, the commentary monthly Mondays. And I started making a list of the commentaries I wanted to cover. And like the very first one on my list was RoboCop. And I was like, but we did RoboCop night. <laughs> like, oh, we've done it now. It's like, what? What do you do once you've been to the to the top of the mountain? You know, what's 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 after that? I love that movie so much. Maybe we'll just do we'll just do a commentary every year for it. Every year, okay, I was just gonna say that. Face. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, by by the like the fifth time we do it, we're just reciting the dialogue right. along with it. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I, where do we want to sh- go from here? Well, I'm sorry. What were you saying? I was just gonna say you wanna you wanna get into it. Yeah, you wanna get down to it. Get down to it. All right, so I finally remembered what the name of this segment is supposed to be. The name of this segment is supposed to be The Freaky Five. And I wish I could remember who came up with that, because I actually like that title a lot. Somebody who was alive during the 70s. We need need to come up with some, like, sort of, like, Freaky Five. Well, because seriously, that that sounds like a Hanna-Barbera cartoon from, like, the 1970s, where you have, like, a vampire character and a werewolf character, and there's a mummy that's constantly getting unraveled, and they have a really crappy theme song that gets stuck in your head. I see it all happening as if it's already happened. I I took it more like... uh... Like one of those cart, like those filmation cartoons that were on when I was a kid, where you'd have like one star and then like some crappy team of unknown heroes that were, you know, like Tarzan and the Super Captain Seven. Caveman and the yeah. Five Freaks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like, could you bring back the the big titted bitches that hang out with him because they're hot? <laughs> Speed Buggy and the Freaky Five. There we go. <laughs> Put antifreeze in my carburetor. <laughs> <laughs> I used to love Speed Buggy. God, did I Speed Buggy and Scooby Doo ever ever team up and cross over? Because they should have if they didn't. I think uh, they I'm were sure like alternate. There's slash fiction of like Speed Buggy and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and you know the title of that is Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> All right, so who? Okay. You know what? I think I always go last on this segment, and seeing as how I struggled immensely with this, I think I'm going to go first, because I had an awful time with this. I really did. So, for those that may have forgotten, because this was, what, like two months ago that we we said what the, the, the Freaky Five would be for this one. Freaky Five for this one was suggested quite a long time ago by our buddy Dan North. And this is our top five comic stories ever. And I was like, seriously? I don't. And I think that's a Dan North. This is like a double Dan North, Dan North title to end. Wasn't this a topic he put up on the, I think it was, on the forum? Which which topic? These top five stories. Right, that's what I, that's what I said. Is this this was his idea? This. Oh, I thought you said the Freaky Five was his. It, idea. it may have been. It may. I really don't remember who who came up with that. It may it may very well have been him. I really can't remember who who it was. But whoever it was, uh, thank you. And uh, <laughs> we're using it now. Yeah, using it. <laughs> remember who it was because I, I like the I like the name very much. But yeah, this was his topic idea, was the top five. And I remember at the time posting on the forum that, dude, I just, I don't know about this. I don't know if I'm up for this at all. But I feel like I, I did a fair amount of homework on this. I, I really, I, I racked my brains and I, I looked through my all my cover scans and really tried to narrow it down to, uh, I, I'll just throw a disclaimer out there that, you know, on any given day, you might ask me and you might get five completely different stories. These are the ones that, after much soul searching, I was n- able to narrow it down to. Now, I interpreted him literally as 
um, my favorite. I, I took it as single issues. Now, if he if he meant like storylines, that would be completely different. If he meant like top stories, as far as like the full story, like you know the four issue mini or the twelve issue maxi or whatever, you know the the series, then that's a completely different answer. But I took it as top five, you know, favorite single issue stories, you know, done in one stories is how I tried to do it, which made that really, you know, this really a a hard assignment. But here's what I came up with. And you guys can see what you think of this. So number five, uh, we have Thor number 356. This was a uh, a done in one issue. This was right in the middle of Walt Simonson's classic run on Thor. This was a I guess you'd call it a fill-in issue, but it didn't really feel like a fill-in issue. But it, it wasn't uh, Walt Simons. As a matter of fact, it says right on the cover, it has Hercules, and he's got this young babe in his arms. And he's pushing Thor off panel and saying something like, uh, you know, Walt Simonson is on vacation and so art thou or something. And he's shoving Thor away. And it's this great story of... This, you know, it's one of these classic tussles between Hercules and Thor, but it's told from Hercules' perspective. So, of course, Hercules is mopping the floor with Thor. And the framework of the story is this little boy who's basically obsessed with Thor. Thor is his idol, and he likes to draw, and he has this notebook full of pictures that he's drawing of Thor, and the bullies the older kids are picking on him and they and teasing him and stuff and they steal his notebook and they're basically they're just being kids but they're being bullies and they're picking on this poor little kid and they come across Hercules at the park it's, i think it's supposed to be central park and so they go up and they ask Hercules you know intending you know they're trying to rib the younger kid and saying, you know, who's tougher, you or Thor? Because they think Thor is kind of a whatever, you know, they don't think too much of Thor. And Hercules is like, oh, ho, ho, you know, of course, you know, the, the son of Zeus is more powerful. And he starts to relate this tale of how he beat the snot out of Thor. And Jarvis is there with him. And Jarvis gets wind of what's going on in this whole situation and figures out what the older kids are doing. And he tips Hercules off to this. And Hercules, there's a great moment during the story where Hercules realizes that, you know, he, he has this moral dilemma of he, he may have actually, you know, hurt a child's feelings because he's uh, basically defaming, you know, Thor, this kid's idol. So at the last minute in his story, he actually changes his story where Thor rallies and whoops Hercules at the end of it. And the kid is kind of uh, uh, not avenged, but uh, vindicated. Vindicated. Thank you. That was the word I was looking for. The kid is vindicated. So the older kids, you know, give him his notebook back. And, and the oldest kid, the biggest kid, says something to the kid like, you know, we'll get you another time or something like that. And there's a great moment where Hercules comes up and just towers over the kid and says something about, you know, basically that this boy, this young kid is my friend and, you know, it would behoove you to pay respect to a friend of Hercules or something like that. And he puts the fear of literally the fear of a God into the kid. And, you know, so the older kids all beat feet and run away. And at the end of the story, you know, Hercules has got the little kid on his shoulder and they're walking away and he's basically regaling him of other tales of Thor's and it's a just a great issue you know it's just a, a really heartwarming story it's it's fun because the battle between 
Hercules and Thor that's told all in flashback from Hercules' perspective is completely ridiculous. And there's a lot of points where Jarvis keeps interrupting the story going, sir, I never, I don't remember that ever happening, or sir, that's pretty much impossible. And Hercules keeps shutting him up because, you know, he's telling a story. It's just, it's great. It's a really good done in one issue. Just one of, one of my favorites, definitely. Um, number four, uh, Jonah Hex, Volume 2, Number 25. This is actually a fairly recent issue. This is from the most recent um, Jonah Hex series. This was by Justin Gray, Jimmy Palmiotti, and Russ Heath. And this was just a powerful story that I, I for a long, long time, I had always wanted to know whatever became of Jonah Hex's son. Because during the original run of Jonah Hex, right in the middle of the run, he actually married and he had <clears throat> he had a son and at some point his wife got fed up with Jonah having promised her that he was giving up his old life but you know circumstances just constantly drew him back into his old ways of bloodshed you know of of having to defend you know her honor or or their lives or whatever so there was just constant death surrounding them all the time she finally got fed up and she just took the baby and ran off and we never really learned until this issue whatever became of jonah's son and in this one it takes place just a few years before jonah would be killed in 1904 and the son basically come they, they kind of just accidentally bump into each other and the son knows who jonah is and in the beginning of the story, you're not sure if Jonah knows who he is, but eventually you come to find out that he does know him. And there's a great moment where they're at the, a bar talking, and you can see that the son is, he keeps throwing things out there, waiting to get a, a reaction or a rise out of Jonah to a point where Jonah finally basically grabs him and says, what do you want from me? And then they get into a tussle. And at the end of the story... Jonah makes it clear that he doesn't want anything to do with the boy and he wants the boy to leave him alone because uh, his wife, that's the way she had wanted it. And Jonah was actually respecting her wishes. And, and you can see that while there's a certain nobility to all this, that it really kills him inside. You know, that you can tell that this bothered Hex very much, that he's never going to know this boy, but he's sticking to his wife's original wishes in the whole circumstance. It was just a, it's a really good story. It was, didn't play out at all the way I would have expected a story like that would play out, but it's very much in character for him. You and, know how that story could have been ruined though? What's that? There's a terrible country song that I think came out in the seventies called Giddy Up Go, which is the story about this truck driver that basically lost his family. But years later, he was, and his son had named his truck Giddy Up Go, and he saw another truck that had something similar on it, and it turned out that the truck driver, the young kid, was his son, and they stop at a diner and catch up with each other and all that. So for some reason that reminded me, <laughs> this is like the darker version of that. Well, I, I think my favorite moment of that of that issue, though, is at the end, Hex is walking out of the bar after having this confrontation and you're not really sure how he feels or, or what's going through his mind, but there, you know, through the subtext of it, you can kind of tell that, or you kind of think that this is bothering him. 
And he's walking out of the bar and he's got a, a big old bottle of something that he's drinking. And he almost runs right into this woman who's headed into the bar with a baby in her arms. And the woman actually looks a lot like his wife, his ex-wife, the, the wife that ran off. And she says something to him like, oh, excuse me or something. And then she notices that he's just guzzling down this bottle. And she says to him, you know, that stuff will kill you. And Hex just walks past her and he goes, I certainly hope so. Or something to that effect. And it was, it's just powerful. You know, it's a simple little moment, but I really liked that, you know, that he said that. And I, I just, I like the way the story resolves it. Again, it wasn't at all the way I thought something like that would ever play out, but, uh, I thought it was really, really powerful. And, um, honorable mention to another, uh, Jonah Hex tale I, I had considered, um, that I just recently read, which was, uh, Jonah Hex volume two, number 69, where, uh, Hex tracks down his father and his he finds his father in the middle of the desert and he's been gut shot and basically Hex just sits down for the simple satisfaction of sitting there and watching his father die and the, it, the dialogue is so real in that to where the father goes by turns to pleading with Hex to help him, to cursing Hex for, for not helping him, to uh, apologizing to Hex for everything he'd done, to going back to being totally unrepentant for everything he'd done to him. And he's he just keeps doing different things to try to get a rise out of Jonah. And Jonah at the end is basically just like, uh, he says something to the effect of, I wish you'd just stop John and get on with dying. Cause that's what I came here for something to that effect. And it was just, wow, it was really powerful. And at the end of the story, there was a moment where after his father finally does die, Jonah buries him. And we see a moment where he, he takes a swill and then after he takes the swill, the panel is cut in such a way that we see a stream of liquid falling onto the grave. And it's, I, I believe that it's left up to your interpretation as a reader that either Hex is pouring, finally pouring the drink for his father that his father begged him for while he died, or Hex is pissing on his grave, one of the two. And I couldn't really decide which it was. And I like that. I like, I like that, that you, too. You can't tell which it is. And at the end, he leaves him there in this in this grave in the middle of the desert with the empty bottle next to the grave and just rides away. And that was the end of the story. And he finally got, you know, basically the last word in that situation because his father was awful to him. And it was really powerful that it could have been so cliched as you know they come together and they find each other at the end and hex you know cries and does everything he can to say but at the end hex was no it was like no you are an, an evil bastard and the only reason i came here is because i want i want to make sure you die and it was like wow it was a real punch in the gut um number three um Starman number 74. This is the uh, James Robinson series. Ironically, also drawn by Russ Heath. Now, I'm not a Russ Heath fan, but he did a, a stand-up job in both of these issues. Uh, never, ever would have expected that something by Russ Heath would make my top five, let alone two books by him. But 
um, I, I guess it's just a testament to the the issues and and to his artwork in both cases. This was, uh, was a story. I don't want to say too much about it because I really want people to just seek it out and read it. But uh, it was basically, um, it tells a great story of um, intrigue, of revenge, and ultimately what made it make my list was the way the story resolves. Um, it has one of my favorite characters in it, who is the Shade, who was just a fantastic character through the entire Starman run. And the story is told by him in flashback and uh, the, the powerful effect that this story had on him. You know, the Shade is an immortal character. And you can tell in this story that, you know, this story is set in 1899 and here he's telling the story modern day and here over a hundred years later, he's still heartbroken by what happened, you know, on that day in 1899. And that, that's what made it powerful for me. You know, if there was any common thread through all these stories is that, you know, they were, they were stories that affected me. You know, they were stories that had some sort of emotional resonance or, you know, made me think or made me cry or, you know, took me by surprise, something like that, you know, and, and that's, this was a really, really powerful one. Um, number two is definitely like that, which was, uh, the second story in amazing Spider-Man number 248, the kid who collects Spider-Man. This is just an incredible story written by, uh, Roger Stern, um, art by Ron friends and Terry Austin. It just tells the story of, uh, this it's uh, again it's told in sort of in flashback it's it's told through newspaper article snippets about this uh this boy that wants Spider-Man to come visit him and Spider-Man does one night he comes and he visits the boy and basically regales the boy with tales of his adventures and stuff and this kid is just like the biggest Spider-Man fan you know, that, that Spider-Man's ever come across, you know, and here, you know, Spider-Man in his own universe was largely considered to be, you know, a a criminal or a fugitive, or, you know, he's constantly being run down by J. J. Jonah Jameson in the, in the Daily Bugle, yet this young kid idolizes Spider-Man and he's collected mementos of Spider-Man's career, like, you know, bullets from crime scenes that Spider-Man had appeared at. And he has, um, old, I don't know if it's films or VHS or something from like when Spider-Man was on TV early in his career and stuff. So it's like a little time capsule of, of Spider-Man and Spider-Man even gives the kid like an explanation of his powers and everything. So it almost feels like a little like origin story type of thing for Spider-Man. And at the end of the story, you know, they have some laughs and everything and, and uh, Spider-Man's preparing to leave and as he goes to the window, the little boy just says, Spider-Man, would you tell me who you really are? And Spider-Man stops and the boy says, you know, you know, I would never tell anybody who you really are. You know, wouldn't you tell me? And Spider-Man starts to tell him that, you know, I, I can't do that. You know, I can't, I can't give you my secret identity. And he goes to the window and he prepares to leave. And then suddenly he comes back and he takes off his mask and he tells him, he says, I'm really Peter Parker. I'm the guy that took most of the pictures in your scrap album. And the kid, rather than, you know, sp- you can tell Spider-Man's actually kind of embarrassed about this, but the kid thinks that's the coolest thing ever that, you know, they, they kind of share a joke that, 
you know, here Peter Parker all these years has gotten the last laugh on J. Jonah Jameson because he's the guy taking the pictures. And they share this, this great moment between the two of them and Spider-Man leaves at the end of the story and there's just the, the last panel is just a complete punch in the gut where you find out that the reason that he went to see the kid in the first place and the reason that he, he ended up revealing his secret identity is that the kid doesn't have much longer to live, that he's actually um, in some sort of a home for, for terminally ill children. And it was just like, wow. You know, I mean, every time I read that story, even talking about it now, it kind of chokes me up. It, it's just, it feels so real. Stern did just an incredible job of fleshing the characters out in that story and, and making it feel like real, you know, even the moments where he shows Spider-Man using his fantastic powers and, you know, the, the gimmicks of Spider-Man are so fantastic and, and science fiction. He, he just, he, he brings the the realism to that story and it just packs just an incredible emotional punch every time i read it It, it's and and plus it gets right to the core of who spider-man is as a character which was what i always thought stern was really good at anyway was that i don't think anybody stan leading stan lee included i don't think ever wrote anybody better than roger stern did but this it's just an extremely powerful story and lastly number one um, this one strangely doesn't have any emotional resonance whatsoever. It's just fun. It's uh, the comic I would most want to see made into a big, I think budget, I know what this huge is. movie, and it's destroyed <laughs> by Scott I McCloud. It. I love that book. Yes, it's shallow. I wondered when this was coming. Yep. Yes, it doesn't have you know. It doesn't make you cry, but it will make you laugh. It will it will make you kind of thrill to the adventures. It's over the top, ridiculous, superheroics, and uh, it's everything you could ever want in a shallow superhero fight. And that's why I love it. An entire city gets destroyed as two overpowered, superpowered idiots just throw themselves at each other without any regard for anything around them, and it's epic. <laughs> I love it. And uh, sorry I went on so long. That's my freaky five. <coughs> Holy cow, man. Well, that's Comics Monthly Monday for this <laughs> month. <laughs> All right. Go next, Chris. I'll go next. Go um, I was going to pick a storyline like that ran multiple issues and stuff, but then I read what Scott was saying about how he was going to do a single issue one, so I decided to do that, which made my choices a little harder. I didn't... Uh, I, I didn't go for as much as stuff that emotionally affected me as just stuff that I've found myself reading over and over again because I liked it. Although one of them is a pretty good emotional story. And uh, I don't have them in any kind of order, but uh, um, yeah, I'll, I'll try to pick them from my least favorite to my favorite. Um, so number five would be uh, Survivalist Chronicles number one which is this weird independent press comic that I remember reading about like somebody reviewing it and saying how good it was. And the art is really crude in it, but it does a really good job of showing how people would survive after a nuclear war. And I, I've read it, you know, I got it when I was like, ah, maybe like 15, 16 years old. I've read it like hundreds of times. It's just really fascinating. Is it as depressing um, as when the wind blows? No, it's not as it's it's because it's setting up an ongoing adventure. Okay, you know? it's okay. setting up an ongoing group of 
it's very it's sort of like it's sort of like a more realistic version of Walking Dead to tell the truth, you know, with that with just post post you know world nuclear nuclear war rather than post zombie apocalypse, but just just a thin line between the two anyway. Um Swamp Thing annual number two, which was uh yeah. An Alan Moore story where Swamp Thing had to go into hell to retrieve Abby from hell and, you know, runs into just a whole host of great DC characters. And, you know, it's got the rhyming, Etrigan, the rhyming demon. He runs into, a, there's a great scene um, where he runs into Cable down there and... uh who is it that dies in that story? Is it Sargon the Sorcerer? I believe so. Yeah. But the Phantom Stranger is in it. And not doing his nor he's doing, you know, he's doing weird metaphysical stuff. So it's, you know, it's Alan Moore written. So, but it's just a great story. I've read it over and over again. And when that came out, it blew my mind, man. <laughs> um, Jay and Silent Bob comics, number two which is one of the most hilarious comics I have ever read in my life. I don't want to give too much away about it, but basically Jay and Silent Bob end up on a, on the set of a porno movie and uh, that's being directed by um, Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> I know this <laughs> And let's I, just I say... his job. Yeah, let's just say Jay gets, like, you know, Jay gets a job... Uh, on a porno set but it is it just of course it's jay so it turns out horribly for him it's not at all (laughs) what he was expecting as far as his job at a porno but it's it's just a hilarious hilarious comic um you know it's it's in the full kevin smith style of humor and tastelessness but it's got that extra edge that you can of goofiness that you can put into a comic book so i just love it um number i guess it would be number two would be daredevil 191 which was 10 issues after the big you know frank miller blowout with the death of electra but this one was frank miller was sort of off the book for a few months and klaus jansen took over and it wasn't really frank miller's return to the book because i think he only did this issue but um I believe he actually penciled and inked it and wrote it and it's a fantastic story. It's uh you know um Daredevil hanging out over Bull, Bullseye is just in in jail and with every bone in his body broken in a full body cast and uh and uh, Daredevil comes and plays a little game of Russian roulette with him and tells him a story about, you know, a little kid that that got a hold of a gun sort of and and to me that is sort of like the height of frank miller's storytelling of frank you know of a frank miller comic i think that's sort of where he peaked even before his dark knight stuff and stuff like that of a of a good bit of gritty storytelling and the art in it is just gorgeous just just awesome and it was one of the last comics that came out that you could see a Frank Miller comic that was on newsprint, which is a big deal for me. I like seeing stuff on newsprint better than on glossy paper. And number one is not even a whole 
issue of a comic, but it's a story, and it's in Star Wars Tales number six, and it's called Thank the Maker. And I think I've mentioned this story before. I think this is like the best Star Wars story I've ever seen in a comic. And it all takes place on Cloud City, uh, in so- sort of in between the whole scenes of, you know, the whole drama that took place on Cloud City. And it's from Darth Vader's point of view. Yeah. So they're like, hey, Darth Vader, we found a droid. You know, that we, you know, they don't know we're here yet, but their droid wandered off and saw us. So we had to blast it. We brought it here because it might have some information. You might be interested in it or you might, you know, want to check it out. And, you know, he's, he's looking at it and he realizes that it's C3PO. And he starts remembering, you know, when he was a little kid and how he built C3PO. And, um, you know, and then, and, um, so then, um, He's just like, you know, throw it, throw it away for scrap. And then they find out later on, they have a scene where they said, hey, you know, the Wookiee, when they, this is weird. We went to, after you've captured these guys, we went to their quarters and found, you know, all the pieces of the robot there. So maybe this robot was more important than we thought, you know, uh, you know, what are we, what are we going to do with it? And then he has another flashback of his mother talking about the responsibility of owning C-3PO and how he has to keep it from Watto. And, you know, that, 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 you know, that she wouldn't tell Watto because, you know, she thinks that maybe, you know, that this was this robot's second chance or something. And, and, you know, there's just a C and Darth Vader is sitting there holding C-3PO's head up to his head, you know, just sort of thinking about this and he's just like, give it, you know, give it to the Wookiee. He deserves, you know, he deserves it. And just fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I usually, sorry. That sounds really, really cool. But the snarky side of me wants to have someone Photoshop an image of Darth Vader looking at the head going, you know, it still doesn't make a lick of sense that I built this thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I still came. I still don't believe that I built this thing. <laughs> Even though I don't believe it. But uh, it's really, you know, it really like it's it's really it, it's one of the first first times that I think emotionally like that whole scene surpasses it's flashing back into the prequels, but it surpasses anything pretty much emotionally in the prequels. It's it's right. it's really good. It's a really good shading of Darth Vader's character and it was one of the early comics to sort of start bringing those two worlds together and usually right. stuff like that can be really cheesy but the combination of the really good art in this and and the story being told just so it works perfectly it, it, it yeah. meshes perfectly into the whole into the empire strikes back and to episode 1 yeah, I will, yeah, I will uh, really agree with you that it, I think a lot of it is the art that makes it in that because the art Cloud is, City looks beautiful. Yeah, it, it's incredibly photorealistic without looking photo referenced. And that famous I, shot of Vader holding 3PO's head up to his helmet and just looking sad and defeated is just, I mean, that's an iconic image. You know, worthy of having actually been on film in one of the Star Wars movies. You know, I mean, I yes. can easily see this having been like a deleted scene or something. It's it's that good. It's that powerful. Yeah. So yeah, and, I and, agree with you. That was a good issue. 
it, it's what made me buy a lot more issues of Star Wars Tales because I was about to give up on it at that point. I was sort of like, eh, it's okay, you know, but a lot of times they're trying too hard to be snarky or funny or, you know, the only time I like the funny stuff is there's a lot of, uh, there, there's a couple other ones besides, but Ser- Sergio Aragones or, would always have yeah. a, a story in it. I always like seeing his stuff and I like seeing him draw Star Wars too. I'm really psyched that he's a big Star Wars fan. But, uh, yeah, and I was after I read that, I was like, holy cow, this is really good. And I'm like, I'm going to keep reading this on the off chance that this, that this author writes some more. Um, I need to look up stories. and see who that was that wrote that story. Now you've got I forgot curious. to jot it down. Yeah. I forgot to jot it down or who drew it. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's my top five. Maybe not as detailed as Scott Gardner's, but there you go. <laughs> When is it ever? <laughs> All righty. Um, Mike this Scott. Is, I, I'm really interested in hearing uh, this. Like Scott, I, I, had a, I had a rough time picking yeah, my favorite count. single issue stories because most of the time I think of an arc or a run or something mm-hmm. as, 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 as a comic book, as how I like to think of my favorite comics. But I decided to pick five characters that I like a lot and choose a story from each of those characters that means a lot to me and is among, uh, are, uh, and that are among my favorites. Uh, going in really no particular order, the first one is The Incredible Hulk number 315. This was John Byrne's second issue of The Hulk has this great cover of the Hulk's head being split in half and Bruce Banner's screaming head is in between them. And it's a great issue that you can actually hear Scott and I talk about on an episode of Back to the Bins um, where Doc Sampson has separated Bruce Banner and the Hulk. And then S.H.I.E.L.D. gets involved and everything goes very badly. And the reason why I chose this is this is one of the books that I got in my pre-collecting days. Uh, I don't know where I got it, but I remember I, I got it because it was a Hulk comic. And I was, as a kid, liked the Hulk as much, probably as much as I do as an adult. And I was, I just loved the artwork in it. It was the first time that I ever remember seeing John Byrne's artwork. Uh, so I definitely had to include that one. Next up is, uh, oddly enough, also drawn by John Byrne, but with writing by Roger Stern, and this was Captain America number 255, The Living Legend. And this was Stern and Byrne retelling Captain America's origin for a 1981 audience. And this is my favorite version of the origin of Captain America and Bucky. Uh, the artwork in it is amazing. The writing is really strong. It gets to the heart of who Captain America is. It explains how he got the triangular shield. And then that dis- that gave way to the, the circular one. It's just an amazing book. It has a cover by Frank Miller and Joe Rubenstein. Uh, it's always weird to see Frank Miller draw Cap for some reason. I don't know why. I guess I just don't associate those two, no. <laughs> that creator with that character. Uh, but 
really and truly probably my favorite issue of Captain America ever. Uh, next up is Flash number 79. It's called The Once and Future Flash. And this is the end of a story arc, so I'm kind of cheating. But right around the time that Mark Wade took over writing The Flash, like a, a couple, six or seven issues into his run, suddenly Barry Allen shows back up from the dead. And Wally is very excited. Uh, until it becomes apparent that there's something very, very wrong with Wally, with uh, with Barry. And it turns out, and I'm going to spoil it because I have to, to talk about this issue, that it's not Barry Allen, but it's Eobard Thwain, the reverse Flash, Professor Zoom, who has gone back in time before he actually started fighting Barry Allen to destroy the flash name and wally west and all of that and there's several reasons why i like this issue mostly because it was the it was part of the beginning of mark way developing a family of speedsters because he started bringing in jay garrick who had just come back from ragnarok uh johnny quick st starts appearing in the series uh max mercury who would become a really big part of impulse's life in a couple of years uh, so it, it's where that, that family legacy aspect of The Flash really started hitting home. But more than anything, this is the issue where Wally West becomes his own man. Because the fight scene with Professor Zoom and this double-page splash of Wally West basically saying, I am The Flash, is freaking awesome. And I will always love this book because of that. It was just, it's just, it's it's a... It's a fist-pumping-in-the-air moment, and uh, I just absolutely love it. Um, I chose a Green Lantern story as well. I thought I was going to choose a Batman one, but I thought of uh, Green Lantern number 3 from 1990. It's called Sound and Fury, and the cover is awesome. It's a Pat Broderick cover of Hal Jordan punching Guy Gardner dead in the face. It's such a neat piece of art. But basically, through the first two issues of this series, Gaia Gardner has been giving Hal Jordan nothing but crap for going on this soul quest thing that he's been walking across America like Kane from Kung Fu or something. And they finally kind of have it out in this small town. They, they have this a conversation in a diner, and then basically... Hal kind of calls Guy out. They go outside, start beating the crap out of each other, and then get arrested because they're strangers in this small town. Well, the problem is that they left their rings inside the diner, and these two rednecks pick them up and start causing all kinds of trouble. They go off and get really drunk and then start terrorizing the town, and it's up to Hal and Guy to kind of stop them. It's a really solid issue with kind of a funny plot, but it ends up being really, really cool. Finally, you knew there was going to be a Superman book on this list. Uh, I chose one of the best done-in-one Superman stories of the post-crisis era. It's Adventures of Superman number 474, face-to-face -face with Yesterday. And this is Clark Kent going and visiting somebody he knew in high school 
who has been in a persistent vegetative or persistent vegetative state since high school, uh, and his parents are finally taking him off life support. They've won their court battle, and they're going to allow him to die. And we get this flashback sequence that of Clark as a teenager, and this ki- this guy that is uh, is in the uh, coma was basically one of his fellow teammates on his, on the football team and Clark, Lana and Pete go to a New Year's Eve party at this kid's house and everybody gets wasted even Clark is feeling a little buzzed and Clark feels that he should drive everyone home but the kid insists on driving and they're in this terrible car accident and it ends up being one of these moments in Clark's life where he realizes that he has to use his powers in a responsible manner because Lana and Pete were slightly injured. Um, Scott, the, the, the driver was put into a coma, but Clark didn't feel anything and it kind of freaks him out. There's this great moment between him and Ma and Pa that I'll always remember, but it was just this, this really cool, small little story that, had a lot of controversial edges to it in it. A young Clark Kent takes a beer to drink. And I was really surprised that DC let that go, but it, 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 yeah. and, it and not only does it deal with drunk driving, it deals with the, the right to life and, and when to end a life and all that. And it's all in this like seemingly innocuous issue of, of adventures of Superman. So I loved it though. I thought it was awesome. And that's my five. Excellent. Excellent. I just I just came to the realization that do we know what we want to do for our top five next month? Yes, we do. Oh, we do. Our top Excellent. five for next month was proposed by Tom Panarese, and it is Yay. top five speed bumps in an otherwise great run. <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be a hard one for me. Ooh. Writing it down. This uh, this one we just tackled was by far the hardest one that uh, that we've done so far for for me personally. It was really tough, but at the same rate, it was also very cool because it was a lot of fun to just kind of walk down memory lane and like I say, I, I really did. You know, my number one was a no brainer. My number one was the only one that instantly popped into my head. It's like, there's, you know, that, that has long been my favorite comic, you know, single comic story and probably always will be because it, it gets right to the, to me, it gets right to the core of what comic books are, you know, for me, what I really want to see most of the time from comics. But I wanted to counterbalance that with, you know, what were the comics that that have stuck with me all these years because they had some sort of emotional resonance? You know, they they hit me in the gut or they made me cry or whatever. And so that was that was fun to to walk down that memory because there were so many comics that came to mind. It was really hard to because this this could have easily have been like a top fifty list. You know what I mean? I, I, there were so many comics that came up, but it was a lot of fun. So. Uh, I'm glad I was able to to narrow it down a little bit, but like I say, you know, a- ask me again, you know, next week, and you might get five completely different, you know, books on that list. Okay, so the freaks are gonna take five.
please enjoy this musical interlude. That was Alan Silvestri from the score to the film, Captain America, First Avenger. This album is available for purchase on CD or as a digital download at Amazon.com. Be sure to visit Amazon.com through the link on our website. That way, the freaks get their cut. We hope you enjoyed this musical interlude, and now back to the freaks. But I think that brings us to everyone's favorite segment of the show. Everyone's favorite! Get Chris to read a goddamn superhero comic. Okay, and this time around on Get Chris to Read, Chris is going to be taking a look at something of a controversial book, I think. This uh, is from April of 1985, only lasted 12 issues. This was uh, pretty much like Richie Rich in Space. It was uh, published by Star Comics, and it was called Planet Terry. <laughs> well, I don't, don't really remember it very much, but Chris read it, and he, he can kind of give us the breakdown on this. No, no, this is Planetary. That's what I said, Planetary. All one word. Right. All one word, P-L-A-N-E-T-A-R-Y. Why they never had a crossover between this and Ewoks, I'll never understand. 
The E E E E E works. Well, I can see there's going to be a lot of confusion because I think we've read two different comic books, Scott. Oh, but no. Scott, we'll I'd see. like your man card for owning copies of Planet Terry. Thank you. <laughs> Although I wondered why there was a space Cadbury in this comic. <laughs> so what'd you think, Chris? Give us Well <clears throat> This month for Make Chris Read a Goddamn Comic Book, I'm reading Planetary by Warren Ellis and John Cassidy. This comic is about a pissy guy named Mr. Snow who gets recruited to a secret society called Planetary by a hot chick with super strength and speed powers or something. Apparently he's real old and bored and they'll give him a million bucks a year so he says okay. Then he meets the third guy in the group is, and he's a guy who can talk to machines and looks like John Bon Jovi. He is called Drummer because he carries drumsticks. Apparently, Planetary is financed by some super rich guy who sets up headquarters all over the world so they can have adventures where they don't get to do a whole lot. Like, they get to meet this Doc Savage guy with beef jerky legs who has been sitting on his ass for 45 years after an interdimensional invasion. <laughs> They got to see. They get to see a terrorist plot foiled by someone else on an island in Japan that's covered in Godzilla corpses. Uh, they get to see a ghost cop shoot a bunch of people in Tokyo and then tell them a story. And then they meet a guy who gets sucked into an alien spaceship and gets all grafted up with alien technology. Then there's a boring part with the Doc Savage guy that has real words like a book, and that kind of makes my brain hurt. Then there's a kind of an evil Fantastic Four, but we only see one guy, and he whips Super Lady real good, and then Snow Guy, and then Snow Guy, he beats him up too. This is where the story started getting all cosmic and interdimensional, and then the comic was over. Except for a bonus story where there was a guy who was kind of like the Hulk, and they starved him to death in a hole. That is creepy. I like this comic. And I will actually have to read more of these comic books. And that is Planetary. <laughs> At least the first it was the first trade of Planetary. Bravo. Now, this is this this I just want to mention that this this Planetary was brought to you by Two True Freaks listener Alan Leach, who actually sent me the, I guess you call it a trader. It's book one, it's a hardcover. Of I'm assuming the first six issues of Planetary, and then like a, a little lead-up story, you know, in the back is a bonus. That's awesome. Yeah, I really, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can remember when Alan used to love me and and Mike. He used to send us stuff, and did now he, he to send you guys stuff? Cover. Yeah, he used hey, to. Hey, all yeah. I'm gonna say is this: Alan sent me the Krypton, the Kryptonian battle armor toy. As far as I'm concerned, he doesn't have to send me anything else. <laughs> the fact that I have that thing looking at me right now, <laughs> judging me, judging you know, on, on my hutch, you know, it's just he'll be my best friend forever for that. I'm just well, teasing. He, he did. He, he has sent us a lot of wings at some point. <laughs> he has sent <laughs> us a lot of nice swag over over the time, and uh, I appreciate it very much. You know what else you guys can send us? Pizzas. 
Dude, don't tempt me. Right now, I would like punch a nun for like a slice of pepperoni pizza. <gasps> I, I'm sure there's going to be some more Alan Leach comics um, read on this show in the future, too. I've still got some more, because he sent me more than this, guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you liked this. Sent me though. quite a bit of stuff, actually. I really I'm liked confused. it a lot. Confused. What's What's the one that's a, that's a Justice League... That's the authority. Authority. Okay. I. 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 I confuse. I've never read either, and I was confused. That's what I thought he was about to read, and I really wasn't sure what he would think of that. You know. This. Yeah. This has a very Alan Moore vibe to it. Yeah, Alan Warren, Moore actually writes the intro to the to the trade here. Yeah, Warren Ellis has usually had an an Alan Moore vibe to him, and that's that's nothing against him as a writer because uh, I actually got this book when I joined the science fiction book club about 10 years ago almost and was really surprised at how much I liked it because I didn't think I was going to like it because I thought it was going to be another one of these British writers and that sounds that sounded harsh and I'm sorry about that but I thought it was going to be another God one of these damn writers. British writers no I thought it was going to be another one of these writers that that comes over and and and, and writes comic books that basically deconstruct stuff that I like mm-hmm, for the sake mm-hmm. uh, because they don't like it or they think it's silly now or whatever reason. And this is just a really, it's almost like, have either of you ever read any of that um, Kurt Busiek series, Astro City? No. Astro City is a look at DC and Marvel through other versions of the characters, like there's a character named the Samaritan and he's basically Superman. And instead of, and it deconstructs it, but it also celebrates it at the same time and makes like a really good story. And that's what I thought. And that's, that's what I definitely thought of, what's going on here. Yeah. Cause you know, it's obvious, you know, that, that he's poking a little bit of fun at doc Savage and Godzilla and, you know, you know, movies from Hong Kong and stuff like that. But at the same time, you get the sense that he really likes this stuff as well. Well, it's it almost seems from these six issues that Planetary is almost there just to sort of encourage this kind of weirdness. Yeah. Because exactly. at the end of the Godzilla one, they all they, they're seeing all these skeletons and corpses of all the great, you know, Toho monsters. And then at the end, a pterodactyl flies over and he's like, I thought they were all supposed to be dead. And she's like, yeah, they are. And she's like, isn't it wonderful? You know, and, and they're, they're just sort of into having weird stuff poking into reality because that makes reality worth living and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So there, there's definitely a lot of joy in it. And the de- the deconstruction of it is almost like he's just trying to figure out a way to bring this into the real world. In a way, it reminds me a lot of Alan Moore and Rick Veitch uh, a bit. Um, um, yeah, I'll go with that. If you're talking well, the, about like, like Swamp Thing, the character, the character, the the drummer character reminds me of a character who's in that Rick Veitch um, Army at Love. Army at Love. There's there's a character who's very similar that who's sort of keyed into that you get an a feeling that this guy's sort of keyed into a different reality than everybody I, else. I am really surprised that Fox hasn't picked this up as a series that they'll cancel a season or two in because it's it's too good. 
Because it does have that kind of fringe feel to it where we're going to do all the weird stuff and here's how we're going to do it. And it's, and you know, it's formulaic, but it's also, it's the good type of formulaic because you want to see what they're going to explore next. Yeah. Well, there's obviously, there's obviously sort of an underlying storyline going on, but in the, on Mm -hmm. the other hand, it's, there's a little monster of the week going on too at the same time. And if that's a neat combination. And if you can balance it well, it works, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it can, if you, but you have to do it in such a way that it doesn't feel repetitive. And I think, at least in these six issues, Warren Ellis does a great job of of making the concept work over six different stories. You know, and, and the art's really nice too. That that helps. Cassidy's a, a good artist. I um, I've really liked his stuff. He did a stint on the X Men that was written by Josh Whedon that I bought a few issues of that was really good. And he's Is that done John a- Cassidy. Yeah. John Cassidy. Oh yeah. He, uh, he was the artist on, uh, on the Lone Ranger series from dynamite that I like so much. I totally freaking missed the opportunity. I should have picked it up. I just didn't have the money. I, there was an entire run of that series in the 50 cent box. Oh, dude. Uh, and I have like the first six issues and I loved it. Yeah. But, but my only problem with it is that like two minutes of the story happened each issue. Yeah. Yeah. That that was that's always the the warning that I issue to folks getting into that title is that get about 10 issues together at once yeah. and sit there and read it at once. And you'll have a much better experience. I mean, like 10 minute reads or something. Yeah, like exactly. That. Cause I, I just, even I, less. Yeah. Even less than that. Cause I just recently finally, uh, uh, got a big old run of that and sat down and reread, you know, all the issues I had read. And then I finished the entire series. That's 25 issues. And I'm thinking it took me maybe an hour. Wow. And I mean, that's just crazy, you know? Yeah. I hate to get off the subject. Have you tried the Zorro series? I haven't. I I was thinking about getting that only because it ends up crossing over with Lone Ranger, but Zorro on his own, I'm just really not interested in. That's a great idea. Yeah. Well, there was that, I think it was, I want to say it was a mini series. It was called The Death of Zorro. Now I don't know if he really ends up dying in it or not, but it was a it was a crossover with the Lone Ranger. Neat. But um, now the the art is really crisp and clear. Uh, when you track down more copies, be sure to get the Batman Planetary crossover uh, that was drawn by Jerry Ordway. That is just awesome. It's a nice one shot special. Uh, kind of a different take on these characters, but it still works. But the one thing that's, that that always gets me about this is you've, you've got Mister Snow, who's all in white. You've got the you know the the hot chick that's really strong and super fast, and then you have Drummer, which and it sounds like if you were pitching this and you didn't have a British accent, you'd sound like an idiot. If that makes yes. any sense. No, I agree. I agree. It's like if I I'm not buying it, but that accent's making it sound like it makes a little more sense. The drummer character has been a little like annoying in it, but I get the feeling that they have a you know there's a plan in the storyline for him somewhere, you know, and I don't know. He reminds me so strongly of a of a character from like a Rick Veitch book. There's a lot that reminds me of this. There's a lot about the collective unconsciousness and, you know, they're, I mean, they're, they flat out talk about God and spiritually weird stuff and interdimensional stuff. And, 
in this, and it seems to be the thing that that there's a sort of crystalline shape that keeps turning up that and you know that seems to be some sort of you know they're they're calling it i think the drummer is the one who calls it god at some point they're like what is it what is this this was in there in the um with the ghost there's the thing they bring up out of the ground he's like it's like a big pile of hard drive basically it's god you know and uh and and that keeps that that weird swirly shape and that was where the creatures that Doc Savage was was holding off too when they when they turned their uh, computer on, it made that sort of weird spirally, you know, go go towards the light sort of shape that that floated there. And I love that sort of stuff. I love secret society. I love the idea of you know they get recruited into their secret society and it's some you know trillionaire or something. So when they go to Japan, they automatically. They're like, hey, welcome to headquarters in Japan, and they've got a whole lab there and a guy waiting for them, you know, to to get put to work on whatever his assignment is. I've been waiting here six years for somebody to come and actually use this facility. I love that shit. So, so this book had sort of had me written all over it, and you know, it's so it's so much of a relief. It reminds me of when uh, Mike Potit sent sent me the book with his short story in it, and I'm like, okay, I have to read this. I hope I like it. You know, because it's it's just so so awesome to get sent such a nice comic, and to you know sit down and and get sucked right into it was even more of a bonus. S- same as Mike Potit, Mike Gravitas Potit's story. I was Mike so Gravitas. so happy. I was so happy when I read that story, and I was like, "Wow, that was a really good story." Not that I was surprised. Not that I really knew Mike really well to know either way whether it was going to be be good or not but yeah it was just like oh it would have been so awful if i hated it (laughs) the same with this comic at least with this comic if i hated it i could have got some comedy value out of it during the during the make chris read a a comic part of it but now i'm kind of now i'm kind of curious to where it's going and and it's what like a decade old now right so yeah about it only lasted oh. 26 issues, and I have a, oh, okay. a, a good friend of mine who online goes by the name Marrow that uh, this was one of the last comics he bought before he just completely walked away. Uh, he was just waiting for that last issue of Planetary, and that was it. So, okay, so it wasn't one of the things that made him walk away. No, no, no. He, he had uh, many and a varied reason to walk away from comics. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just walk away. <laughs> Scott and I are aiming guns at each other as the rain is pouring down. Walk away, man! <laughs> <laughs> so, so what are we thinking about? What? What are you thinking of making me read next time? Is yeah. that what you're going to say? Yeah. What's what's in store for me next time? Well, it's up to you guys. Well, I had an idea. We had a, uh, a suggestion. Oh, did you? I did. We had a suggestion on the forum that, uh, I'll be honest, I, I wasn't the most enthusiastic about it, only because it was a story. Now, granted, I've, I haven't read it in many a year, but uh, the first couple of times I've read it, I, I, it hasn't really struck much of a chord with me. However... It was recently uh, adapted into, uh, I, I think this was the latest of DC's animated films, which was uh, Batman Year One. So I'm thinking 
we can uh, take that suggestion ah. reread uh, Batman Year One and uh, and even cover uh, you know discussing the uh, the animated film that just got released and maybe even having a special guest during that segment. Ooh, well this this is the first one for for make Chris read a goddamn superhero comic that I've actually read, but I read it when it first came out, so it's been a long long time all i remember is i've got as i remember i liked it and i have a vague wasn't it, was it mazzicelli who did the art yeah. for it yeah yes. it's uh yeah, i remember i really loved the art yeah i remember you really were crazy about it and you were really trying to sell me on it and i just wasn't buying you, were, you were, <laughs> weren't buying what i was selling yep that wouldn't have been the first time <laughs> gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman The Superman Podcast Network dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman Golden Age Superman The Superman Fan Podcast Superman in the Bronze Age From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast I've got a few things to say about Superman The Superman Vidcast The world's best podcast And Radio Kale from SupermanHomepage.com As well as the audio dramas Superman, Last Son of Krypton and Supergirl, Last Daughter of Krypton from Pendant Audio Production. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Yunus, and co-host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com I couldn't believe he was really dead. I didn't know what I could say to you. Yes, child, we know. We know. I was there. I watched him fight that thing. I watched him die. I didn't do anything but watch him die. Lois, Lois, now listen. It's not your fault. You did all you could. Everyone did everything they could. Now you've got to get on with your life. We all have. The battle is over. A hero has fallen. Miss Lane, I monitored Superman when I arrived. I cannot pick up any brain activity at all. As the city mourns, a family comes to grips with the loss of their son. (sighs) I keep coming back here to the North Pasture, to where he first came into our lives, to say goodbye. His fellow heroes feel regret. Oh, if only I could have helped him, Lex while his enemies see opportunity. Well, now I'm back on top, and you can't do one blessed thing about it. You're dead. You're nothing. Metropolis is mine again, and you are an empty, lifeless, withering husk. Worst of all, His true love has to learn to live without him. Goodbye, Kal-El. This January, 
From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented by supermanhomepage.com and supermanpodcastnetwork.com begin their coverage of the second part of the Death and Return of Superman trilogy. Every Thursday, you are invited to join hosts Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor as they explore how his friends, loved ones, bitter enemies, and fellow heroes deal with the loss of the Man of Steel. A city in mourning. A world without Superman. A funeral for a friend. I get hot and thirsty riding a skateboard. Me too. This is a job for Kool-Aid. Hey, Kool-Aid! Oh yeah, Kool-Aid's here. Bringing you fun, Kool-Aid got thirst on the run. Get a big, wide, happy ear to hear Kool-Aid smile. Mmm, tastes great. Our friend's cool. Our friend's Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid brand soft drink mix. Oh, yeah. You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, Tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com 2 True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite 2 True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling, and it really helps us out. So please, use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libson is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at ForumForGeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. 
You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hey, you. Yes, you, hearing this message. Do you like podcasts? Well, evidently you do, because you're listening to one right now. Do you like giant monsters? Of course you do. Who doesn't like giant monsters? Well, then have I got the show for you. Earth Destruction Directive is the newest Daikaiju podcast on the Internet. And we talk about all your old favorites, like Godzilla, Rodan, King Ghidorah, and Gamera, but also lesser-known monsters, like Gappa, Yangari, and Giawa. We cover everything from movies to comic books to video games, and we're kicking it old school. This is breaking news. We are receiving word that Earth's Destruction Directive is now a part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. Listeners are advised to stay in their homes and listen to all of the fine quality podcasts on the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. Available at Two True Freaks com. We now return you to your regularly scheduled broadcast. Wait a minute. Is this true? Earth Destruction Directive is now on the Two True Freaks Network? You bet your oxygen destroyer it is. So if you love atomic-powered, fire-breathing, hardcore, giant monster action, then head on over to twotruefreaks.libson.com and check out Earth Destruction Directive. We're turning all of your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality.